0: If you want criticism, we'll talk about the changing business model that Stone Brewing has, but well, no, let's
1: not go there. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not digging up that horse's corpse again.
0: Found another one that was over 12 months old this week, Prof. Uh,
1: good. Uh, anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Thanks to Crime Malt, a grain of truth in every podcast. This is Good Brews Week. I'm your host Pete Mitchum, and joining me is Matt Kierkegaard. Good day, Matt.
0: Thanks to Crime Malt, but not thanks to IInet Prof. You're uh, sounding a bit scratchy. Like a, you, you're calling uh, from location.
1: Yeah. Well. well it, yeah. So I said we should have just done this tomorrow when I'd be up there with you, and we could have, you know, done it side by side with, you know, coffee and/or beer. We could but, have. Uh, but- yes. The the internet gods, the uh, the NBN gods are. Um, uh, uh, uh roaming around the neighborhood at the uh Casa del Pilsen at the moment and uh so all of a sudden yes my upload speeds have, have dropped to um you know bing bong bing bong, levels <laughs> and uh there's a bit of a sound gag there for those old enough to remember dial up internet. Um yes yeah, so it's conspiring against us. So we've we've had to go old school, get a little bit analogue and um Matt's called me on the on the uh the dog and bone. But we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Yeah, well, it sounds toy. like you're
0: uh, like our on the on the location correspondent. So uh, that's
1: it, exactly. And look, it should make our listeners appreciate uh, just how much our uh, sound quality, thanks to uh, our very fine producer Joe, um, or due in no small part to to her expertise, uh, just how much it's improved. I, but it's awesome. it sort of, you know.
0: Last week she sent me a note when we put up our bearded uh, conversation with Josh Donahoe saying, "Oh, look, you know, it's, there was a lot of road noise, and so you guys might sound a little bit tinny." Because and, I, and when I listened to it, I thought. I can't hear the road. The whole point was we're on the road, <laughs> so she's doing such a good job. Uh, I, I, mind you, my hearing's not the best, so uh, maybe our listeners did get the feeling that we were um, in. Maybe, you know, maybe
1: all the road noise was in the left ear. In, in, <laughs> in yeah,
0: the left yeah. channel. <laughs> in, in, in the um, uh, Sunshine Coast in, craft beer tours uh,
1: van. So uh, no, thank you to Joe, um, who's doing an awesome job.
0: How's your week been, Prof?
1: Yeah, not too so bad. Um, Gearing up to, as I say, head your way tomorrow. Uh, was lucky enough to pop in at, uh, I guess, the end of last week to my first Beer Insider experience and the first Beer Insider down here in Melbourne, which um, kicked off very well. It was a, a, an auspicious uh, inauguration. Uh, considering it's probably, I think, the first time that I can remember where we've had two major beer festivals on the same day, on the same weekend and uh, but it, it appeared that there are plenty of breweries now to go around and plenty of punters to to enjoy it so punters. I think they were aiming it to try to get three and a half thousand <laughs> which I know pales into insignificance when you consider that the Brisbane Showgrounds Beer Insider experience gets upwards of around the twenty thousand mark uh, but the joint was certainly absolutely pumping and by all reports um, you know, those new to the the experience um, seem to, to really take to it so that's good so I like it so much, I'm going to come up to Brisbane and do it again this week uh, as part of my, I guess, my small small role in uh, reinvigorating the Royal Queensland Beer Awards this weekend.
0: Which are being judged this weekend and uh, announced next week. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to having a housemate. And uh, we didn't record this while uh, we were tete-a-tete because um, the schedule, we want to get this out Friday. We've made a commitment to our listeners to uh, be regular. And we're going to – that's, you know – we, uh, we, we See what don't you've made us
1: done. See what you've made
0: us done, <laughs> listeners. You asked for it, we listened. <laughs> there you go. So let, let, but let's get on with the show. Although, uh, at, at, as our um, feedback this week says, that, you know, the, the cook limit, um, you know, a lot of our commuters have an hour, like a lot of our listeners do it on their commute. And uh, we always worry about sort of trying to keep the show around 30 to 40 minutes, but they seem to like a little bit longer. So let's aim for half an hour so we
1: can bring it in under the hour. All right, let's uh, wish us luck with that, punters. Oh, sorry, here's the bad word. That's Um, (laughs) nice. But thank you to all our letter writers who have been sending in emails and um, various forms of communication. And we do remind you that thanks to our very good friends at Beer Cartel, all our letter writers will receive a Brews News bottle opener, and they will also go into the draw to win a mixed six-pack, thanks to Beer Cartel, who sponsor our Letter of the Week. But before that, Matt, we have some news to get through. Starting with... A.B. InBev talks about low and no alcohol beer and how that has affected their beer volumes. Um, We will talk about a bird that is a state finalist in the Business Awards, um, which is coming up, and I think, uh, Friday the 8th of March. That's the one. That will be announced. We'll get to that in just a moment, uh, but that's when this podcast will go up. Uh, we look at the breweries that were represented in the Australian Tourism Awards and have a look at the results. The Portman Group, uh, we will talk about them and introduce some listeners to the Portman Group. Older listeners um, may be familiar with their well, <laughs> body of work, let's just say, <laughs> um, but they are, in quotes, trying to destroy Britain's proud history of strong ales. And we will also look at an article that Matt uh, discovered this week uh, of how the Craft Brew Alliance which has formally established the PH Experiment Business Unit. And we ask, are you just throwing a lot of shit at the wall to see if something sticks? Or is this something that we may need to look into? Uh, and also, will it be reflected? Will some of that <laughs> will some of that shit bounce off and hit Australia? Uh, but Matt, let's start off with AB InBev. And 8% of their beer volumes in their uh, report just released this week have come from no and low alcohol beer.
0: Uh, yes, mate, and the AB InBev announced its reports in its annual report um, last week, and we're still digging through it a little bit because they don't say too much about Australia and what it means for CUB. They talk about Australia having low single-digit growth, so we're still digging a little bit into that to see what it means. But when you read um, the, the the coverage, um, such as um, the article that we've highlighted um, from BrewBound, um they are. They've made a commitment to sell more low-end, no-alcohol beer. Um, we've seen the launch of Carlton Zero in Australia, and it, which is part of that commitment. And there's a couple of things about this that you know sort of catch my eye. Um, firstly,
1: massive growth, Matt. massive growth.
0: Well, they're, they're, they're last, highlighting last Australia. Year
1: we, we sold one can. This year we sold. Uh, this week we sold hundred cans. That's well, a thousand percent
0: increase. Just to take a step back, um, A B and Bev have proudly announced it as a um, you know, measure towards uh, you know, sustainability of you know healthfulness of drinking, that they've got a commitment to have ten percent of their volumes, um, or twenty percent of their volumes, ten percent of their volumes being low and no alcohol beers by twenty twenty five or whenever it is. And you know, it, it, it's one of those things that big breweries once they've seen a trend that they've been forced to follow, they try and put themselves as the car, as as the horse in front of the cart, as opposed to the dog being, you know, you know,
1: wagging the tail.
0: Yeah, well, walking along behind the cart and
1: hamster on a wheel. Um, oh, okay, sorry, I was trying to work out it, where you were going there. Oh, well, you know, like you know, the,
0: they they're certainly not leading this trend. Um, they've noticed this trend, younger consumers, but everyone's drinking less. Um, well, not everyone, but overall, um, we're drinking less as a community. Younger drinkers particularly drinking less um, and are looking for sort of more healthful beers um, or drinks. And it's a trend that has really harmed their bottom line. So they're now saying, well, because um, we want to be responsible, we're doing this. No, it's because you're chasing the market. So that's one thing. Um, in their annual report, they've highlighted um, Australia as... Uh, more already more than 20% of our drinkers in Australia are drinking uh, low to um, no alcohol beers, as if that's something they've created. But of course, it brings in the 3.5% limit. So Australia is one of the pioneering countries or one of the, the, the biggest consumers of mid-strength beer in the world. Um, and that goes back to the change to drink driving laws um, and you know, uh, alcohol, uh, blood alcohol limits in the 80s. Um, which saw you know, beers like Forex uh, Gold, which was only first brewed and only uh, launched in 1992, slow uptake at first. Now it, you know, is Lion's biggest selling product, although, again, a declining market segment. Um, so it's interesting to see the way that they're flying the flag of Australia as being a big contributor to their bottom line, um, to meeting that goal when they've had nothing to do with it. Looking at the no alcohol, and this is something that we've talked about a little bit before Prof, um, they launched Carlton Zero. Um, and the word from inside the big house is that it's, ah, oh, you know, it's one of our best launches ever, you know, talking about, I, I, I haven't got a figure in writing, but, you know, figures of a thousand percent growth are, um, you know, being bandied around. And when you look at the zero alcohol segment, um, you know, if 1% of beer drinkers tried Carlton Zero, uh, there would, you'd imagine, be more than 1,000% growth because you're coming off a negligible base. So whilst they're talking about that it's huge, um, we'll wait and see. I really don't know that in a country, as I've discussed in the past, I don't know that in a country that has such a strong mid-strength culture already, that there is the same imperative to go to zero uh,
1: yeah I don't, I don't think it'll happen because you, you look at uh, growing up you either drank full strength or light beer light if you were if you were driving well even light um, beer
0: was a newish sort of product back then that yeah that,
1: you know light but it was it was it was a direct response to you know we need to be more responsible uh you know don't get in your car and you know with a with a gut full of piss and uh, you know try to Hope the Commodore finds its way home, kind of thing. We 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 dropped that attitude that we had in the sort of you know fifties through to the the seventies and early 80s. Mm. Um, but then mid strength really sort of took over from that market. I think you don't really sort of see. You still see you know you, you go to the the usual suspects uh, and have a look at their beer list, and there, there'll always be you know a Cascade Premium Light or you know a light beer of of some sort. And I, I just don't know who drinks that. I just don't see anyone drinking it anymore. You don't you don't see it on tap um nearly well certainly not in the pubs i go to
0: you do tend to see like when i'm doing a corporate event or things like that you see some of the older um drinkers who who were introduced to carlton uh, you know to cascade light back in the day they were quite happy and then the flavor of light beers has improved dramatically since they were first launched um mid-strength you know you can get some you know very flavorsome mid-strength and our palate has adjusted to accommodate those um And, you know, particularly, but it's even interesting within Australia, I understand that Queensland and Western Australia are the two drivers for mid-strength volumes um, in the country. I think
1: mid-strength is... And northern New South Wales, I think, as well, for some reason. Yeah. But I don't know if that's still the case. I know it was.
0: I I think mid-strength is the greatest consumption of any beer in in Queensland. So you've got like a market dominance there. Um,
1: maybe the is that, because, boys, is that because the old buggers can sweat it out as quick as they can drink it or is it because they can then say I drank 10 cans tonight rather than you know I drank it, 7
0: mate you, you make a good point that was always one of the things is it, it let you you know it was on one hand the maths were easy it was one standard drink an hour um, but also it meant that you didn't have to change how much you drank um, you know in terms of volume um, it, yeah, but it, it just your pace just just uh, well just the outcome because if you're drinking a 3.5 over a 4.9 there is a significant difference if you do have that six pack or that 10 pack um at, at the end of the night um but yeah I, I just don't know that culturally like zero um is is going to make that sort of penetration that it has in other countries particularly when uh, you know I, I really don't get the sense, and I'll probably draw emails here. And craft is a little bit different, but you don't Australians don't tend to drink beer for the flavour um, that, that comes with it. it. It is the mix between flavour and alcohol, um, and you do like that, you know, slight uh, mind altering, you know, mood altering effect that comes with alcohol that a 0 point zero doesn't have. And then you've also got the issue that we've highlighted previously is that. If you make a beer that you remove the alcohol from um, because of reverse osmosis or the um, arresting yeasts, um, you, you've got carb levels that are significantly higher than you know, even a full-strength beer or a full-carb beer. Um, and we've been told for ages that people don't want uh, to have sugars. We've got the debate going on in the US about um, corn syrup, um, you know, high-fructose corn syrup and corn syrup and rice... Um, and AB and Bev's telling us that people really care about what's in their drink. So, you know w- w- when you start looking at the calories, aren't that great? Um, aren't you know, the, the calorie um, savings from a zero point zero beer aren't that great? It ends up being empty calories. And you know, I, I hear a lot of um, younger drinkers looking at, well, do I want to drink? you know, something that I'm not going to enjoy because there's a calorie cost that comes with it. And there's a calorie cost with 0.0 beers. But anyway, it it was very interesting to see. Um, And the other thing from that story, Prof, is I wanted to thank our fantastic uh, audience who, uh, because the other thing that was trumpeted was looking at some of AB InBev's international brands that are being launched, you know, like uh, Corona, um, Lehera, um, which is their mid-strength variant, has been launched in Australia. And then one of the other things they flagged was... Um, Eupilla, a new beer out of Brussels. Yeah, a <laughs> Pure Blonde, which is the Australian brand that's uh, found a home in Belgium. So we are seeing AB InBev doing a bit of cross-planting. And uh, you heard it first, thanks to our, what our about, listeners, listeners. Our yeah. listeners,
1: eagle-eyed spotters will spot this stuff first. That's it, before it even is announced in the AB InBev annual report. Beautifully done. A uh, big week this week for um, those of the fairer sex. Am I allowed to say that? Different I don't know. Sex, The other sex. Our, our listeners second, will let us know, that's for sure. International Women's Day on Friday, Matt. And um, Danielle Allen, who is one half of Two Birds, the other half being uh, Jane Lewis, who I've got to have a, a little bit of a beer with at Beer Insider. I love a little catch-up, although all too brief. Um, but, yeah, she is a finalist in the Business Awards section for the... Um, uh, International Women's Day
0: Congratulations Two birds uh, You know yeah. Kicking goals still And it's and it's it's nice to see I, I've seen um, Jane has been featured In a lot of articles already For International Women's Day So it's nice to see Danielle Who is the other bird um, You know Be recognised For her business now As much as uh, Jane is uh, For her brewing now
1: Yeah uh, Also launching I think uh, Pink Boots Is one thing I've really noticed Has improved their um, I guess their public profile um if if my social media feed is is anything to go by this certainly seems to be um far more regular and they're also i guess linking to a lot of other relevant um articles from uh pink boots around the world and also uh letting people know about various collab brew days in various countries and I'm pretty sure that uh the one that was brewed at stomping ground is released either. Tonight, well, it will have been released. I think by the time you listen to this podcast. Exactly. So good to see. Um, and as and, and so I I don't know what percentage, but I know that there are proceeds that do support um, Pink Boots. Part of that, uh, I know, goes to the I forgot what it's called, but you know, we uh, not an endowment, um, but you can apply uh, for a you know, like a, you win a spot, for example, at BrewCon and that sort of thing. Yes. Yep. And there's a word for it, and I'm sure our listeners will let us know. Um, Speaking of Australian breweries, uh, did pretty well, again, in the Australian Tourism Awards. Um, And this is an important one, I think, because it it does show that we're in the past. And I think um, one of our letter writers, James Davidson, uh, I saw he'd written uh, that it was good to see Australian breweries and cideries just starting to take a little bit of the, I guess, step into the spotlight that in the past has been very much uh, associated with wineries. The wineries have sort of had to themselves when it comes to to tourism.
0: Yeah, look, and I mean, it's just great that breweries are being recognised, um, you know, in cellar doors because, as you said, wine tourism has been such a big thing. And yeah, you know, as we discovered recently, um, thanks to Josh um, from Sunshine Coast Craft Beer Tours. You know, there is a thriving element and it's great to see people getting out and visiting breweries, but also, you know, state industry bodies recognising the contribution that breweries make. Because, as I, as I keep saying, Pete, um, you know, wine tends to be grown in clusters, you know, geographic areas, because you make Where wine the grapes where grow. Where the grapes grow. Beer can be made anywhere. So every town... Um, you know, every city, uh, every region can have a brewery that becomes a thriving, you know, visitor spot um, for their areas. And, you know, I, I, I just sort of think that that's something that we should be recognising more of. And it's great to see those breweries. And I, well, I should say St Andrews Beach Brewery um, won the Australian Tourism Award. For Best New Venue, I think. Gold medal for Best New Tourism Business. Yes, Best New best Tourism new Business. Tourism. Oh, so there you go. Oh, yeah. So Best New Tourism Business. That's so not just Best New Cellar Door. Um, which is awesome.
1: Great to see. Yeah, and uh, well done to all of those who. Um, and I say like, because it's, it's one of those things too where they don't come out seeking you. There's a lot of work goes into um, preparing um, your uh, your application to be considered, uh, and and obviously the, the panel looks at you know okay, well yeah that's fine you make good beer, but you know what what are you actually offering in terms of a, a tourist destination? So it's great to see that those sorts of um, people in breweries who are considering, you know, how do we market to, to the wider audience? Because I say, you know, um, I know ancillary businesses love being around some of the, particularly some of the regional breweries because they don't just bring people to the town, but they get them to stay at the town. So they might then go and hire a bike. They might go and, you know, buy a T-shirt. They might go and, you know, have a coffee in the cafe or whatever it might be, or a breakfast. or uh, And obviously they're encouraged then to, to stay overnight, so everyone everyone wins. Exactly,
0: and when you look at places like Bridge Road, which you know it, it provides the bikes, it's it's linked into all of the um, businesses in the area, and it, it does become a you know real part of the thriving Focal tourist point. drawcard. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is awesome, and, it, it, and it's you know, it's something that we should be seeing more of. Actually, exactly. probably I'll just sort of throw in, and one, and one of the reasons yeah. that I think it's so important that, you know, particularly cellar doors and things, you know, like this week, again, it's one of those things that we sort of come back to every little while. I've been sort of helping a venue out with um, a, a bit of a beer list um, and putting it on, and, uh, and actually, shout out to Noda, um, you know, Sebastian Decourt, um, Sharon Decourt from the Cheese Pleaser opening up a, yes. a, a nice little bistro in Brisbane and it actually opens Friday night, Prof. So seeing you're up here, we might even see if we can get a booking on Saturday night and I'll take you along. Um, but I've been helping them out with their beer list and I'd sort of wanted to, you know, stay local where possible, support great local breweries, um, even where the styles are fairly, you know, like you've got breweries that are playing in the little creatures um, space. Um, and so I was put together a beer list with a couple of great little breweries. And, you know, and I don't want this to be in any way criticism, but uh, put on a can, a carton of um, a brewery and got the invoice. And I just shuddered when I saw the, the, the invoice for the, the, the carton of beer. It was like $92, including GST, for a carton of ale, And you sort of think, is that wholesale price or is that retail price? Um, and it was the wholesale price, and you know, look like craft beer costs what it costs. And there was an interesting discussion on Pete Brown's website talking about craft beer. But you know, I, when I see that, um, I just sort of wonder how broadly craft beer can get out um, when, if it's a wholesale price of around about you know ninety two dollars, so that's what twenty six dollars wholesale for a six pack um that by the time it gets in a bottle shop you're looking at 30 to 32 dollars for a six pack maybe you know in, in a bottle shop for a you know it's a hard ask it's a very nice ale, but it's it is it's local and independent worth 12 dollars a six pack more um and you know look I, I i don't know the answer to that um but particularly when you put it into a um, retail venue um, like a, a cafe or something, they've got to do their markup on and it, it's looking like a $12 can of beer. And you think, Gee, well, look, you know, the, the market will decide, but, you know, it, it is one of those things that, particularly given a lot of our listeners, um, you know, have aspirations of opening a brewery, um, it, it's one of the things you need to think about when you look at all of these breweries that are opening um, and then you look at how many venues are stocking their beer... What is your business model going to be? Are you going to be a wholesale producer, you know, with a little six hundred liter um, brewery, or is your revenue going to come through on premise where you get to make that margin yourself by providing the experience? Um, and I'd love to hear our listeners' thoughts on that one. You know, is you know ninety two, ninety three, ninety four dollars a carton for a very good pale ale um, something that you're you know wholesale um, something that you're willing to pay, particularly some of our um, you know, we've got a lot of publicans and a lot of uh, venue operators. Um, you know what, what your thoughts are on that, because it's a it, it, it's something that I'm trying to come to, you know, find an answer for myself.
1: Well, particularly Matt, since you're not the only game in town. So, like you say, good pale ale as it may be, there are plenty of others around. If you can get one for seventy or fifty-five, are you gonna are you gonna go back to the ninety-two?
0: Absolutely. And, you know, and look, it's, it's, as I say, it's absolutely no criticism to breweries because beer costs what it costs. When you're making three, four, 500,000 litres a year um, and you've got you know, your, your brewer, your brewer assistant, um, a couple of, you know, and, and all of the people who are your bookkeeper and all of those people whose costs have to be covered by that beer. And then when you look at you know, um, packaging for a small brewery, um, it, it's mind-blowing how expensive Putting beer in cans in cartons is um, because you're easily looking at 50 to 60 cents per can um, by the time you look at canning, and even with our great friends at Rawlings Labels, who we'll come to, um, you you really need to know there is a market for your beer um, when you're putting it in, and you know what's that? You know, 60 cents, uh, almost 12 dollars a carton, is just through um, the, the the cans and the labels and the carton. Um, and we haven't even, yeah, and you haven't even yet. Yep, exactly. All of those things. And so, yeah, it's, it's not gouging and it's not a criticism about that. But is there a... No,
1: but you need to know the cost going in. Yep. And you need to know, okay, if that's, if that's what it's going to cost us, you know, how much realistically are we going to sell in a very competitive market when there are a lot of other breweries not that much bigger than you who may have worked out ways to make their beer quite a bit cheaper.
0: And to, to be honest, Prof, that's also why when I – and I know that we've gone off the show notes here, but we'll, we'll, we'll come to – well, we'll, as I said, we'll we'll, we've got now. an hour. <laughs> we've got a long commute. They haven't even gone through no, a station not. four yet. Yeah, we've used uh,
1: half of it already. Come <laughs> on.
0: And Prof, that's why – and I know I come back and I jump on my soapbox a bit about it, but that's where, you know – you talk about provenance and if a brewery does decide to make their beer at a small regional brewery, get the canner in, and it does cost significantly more, there is an inherent value emotionally to the beer consumer to know that it has actually come out of the brewery that they can visit. Um, there is absolutely nothing wrong with contract brewing and sending your beer to you know, someone like Tribe or sending it down to uh, Brick Lane and getting incredibly well-made beer um, at scale and getting the benefit of sort of the cost savings that they can generate but you need to be upfront and transparent if that's what you're doing Um, because that does change the you know if if, if someone buys it in your tap room and it has been made in the tap room you need to sort of let them know yeah, you know, and, and that's part of your story, and you change your sort of marketing if if that's the case. Because you know, I, I just sort of think otherwise, you're putting the people that decide to make a more expensive beer, but with that provenance, at a disadvantage. And ultimately, let the consumer decide what matters, whether it's a cheaper six pack or something that's been made on site. That's it.
1: Or it may be a was beer that worth that it in the end. Point? With your friend, yeah. No, it was worth waiting for. Man. <laughs> yeah. um, British strong ales. Britain has a very proud history of strong ales, Matt, and the Portman Group is trying to destroy it. Oh, Well, no, look, that, that's that's
0: yeah, that, that's um, we're referring to Martin Cornell. Um, is he a good friend of the show? He's only been on twice, I think. We might need to. He get hasn't him. Been on twice. We'll get him on a third yeah. time and give him the official mantle of good friend of the show. Um, that's but, it. One of our favourite uh, beer historians and writers. So the Portman Group. We talked about ABAC last week, and we will come to them when we get to letters. Um, and I talked about the concept of the firebreak, you know, stopping well short... You know, so you, you sort of have that clear delineation between what's going on and what's not going... You know, what, what's acceptable and what's not. Um, and I, the, my argument is is that if the industry doesn't stop well short of it, you give the, the anti-alcohol lobby fuel to campaign on, and the last thing we want is government legislating a lot of these things. And the Portman Group is a great example. The Portman Group is the voluntary code that's the equivalent of ABAC, but they seem to have a very different alcohol lobby in in, in the UK. So one of the Portman Group's uh, code of practice on the naming, packaging and promotion of alcoholic drinks um, talks about, I think it's... You're not allowed to have beer over a certain strength in an unresealable bottle because you're only allowed... I'm just scanning it. I think you're only allowed to
1: have... Um, 8.4 units, units of uh, alcohol in a single container. Oh, more. sorry.
0: Oh, sorry, there was, there was um, the beer that was... Sir John Franklin, a beer that was made in tribute to Sir John Franklin, who was lost um, in uh, North America, in the Arctic waters of North America, and a beer was made to celebrate him, and it had 8.4 units of alcohol. And it was a corked and capped bottle. It looked like a wine bottle. Um, but it had, because it was 11.25% ABV, it was 8.4 units, which was much higher than the Portman Group allows um, in their self-regulation. And I just can't see what... I think it's only allowed to have four and a half or five um Yeah, so units. basically
1: the Portman Group is saying, you know, if you it's not a resealable bottle, then you shouldn't be uh, having more than X number of standard drinks in that bottle because uh, we, we we will completely dismiss the fact that you may buy it to share out among six or seven or ten friends.
0: And I don't know how they get uh, around wine because every bottle of wine... Um,
1: I, or screw I, caps now. Does that mean because it's resealable? Is that okay? But, but
0: again, that, that makes it ridiculous. And you know, this is the problem when you... Whenever you get to the to, to the situation that regulation needs to be made, you can't look at intent. And this beer isn't made. You know, it, it, they they do try and yeah, bring in elements of see, premiumness. Yeah, you're not going
1: to see the hobo. You're not going to see Pete the Jakey. You know, in a doorway in Glasgow somewhere, buying you know, knocking back a, three a, bottles of this,
0: an eighteen quid bottle of <laughs> beer, exactly. <laughs> And, and, and they do try and make allowances for that. But as soon as you try and regulate something, you it, it just becomes important. And anyone who wants to be a bad actor will still get around it. And if you go to most bottle shops and you see those shitty bucket of shot um, type things that are, have absolutely no redeeming value apart from getting people shit-faced quickly before they go out and glass somebody in a nightclub um, – But they're on sale and they meet the requirements, apparently, um, because they're in our big, you know, the the same uh, Liquorland and uh, BWS that police having cartoon characters on the front of a KJU because of the voluntary code, apparently these things are still okay and they happily sell them because they meet, even though their only intent is for people who want to smash a few before they go out. Um, and that's the big problem with when the industry doesn't police itself, you've got bad actors and they'll always get around it. And, uh, one of my, I'll I'll link to it in the show notes because one of my favorite stories is in America, um, that I think I've talked about it before, the 32 page definition of a biscuit. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you try and define what a biscuit is and next thing you got 32 pages telling you what a chocolate chip biscuit is. And it's just... Absolutely ridiculous. And that's why... Yeah, so read the article about the Portman Group, but remember that this is a group that is just trying to self-regulate and show government that they're trying to do the right thing so government doesn't come in and make an even bigger cackfest of um, regulation. Um, Yeah,
1: so the the salient point is that at the end of the day, there are plenty of wowsers out there and they won't be happy uh, regulating alcohol they won't be happy um with our self-regulating alcohol they won't be happy until there is no alcohol at all and it and, and no more families are destroyed and, and and that whole sort of thing let's keep, let's go to mind that's the starting point that they're that they're coming off
0: prof if, if you if you want to know what the outcome of prohibition is go and see uh that there, there's a fantastic uh documentary by ken burns um on netflix it's a four-part series about prohibition and prohibition yeah it's Awesome, because it, it it talks about all of the things that led to it, and it was very noble. You know, people that are trying to prevent alcohol problems are doing it for a noble goal, but they tend to come at it from a, 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 a like a simplistic approach that causes more problems. And let's face it, people do want to drink. And during prohibition, the incidence of um, cirrhosis of the liver and alcohol violence and you know public drunkenness was up on pre-prohibition days so mate, it's been a while since i've been on the soapbox that felt good
1: i was <laughs> good to see you've, you've uh, reinforced it during during the off season <laughs> Just strengthen it there because there was no creaking or groaning Very just, solid. just from you um, yeah that's right craft uh, uh, brew alliance formally establishes the ph experiment business unit this was an interesting one, Matt, and one that you just added quickly. So I had not had a chance to, to yeah, read yeah, through it. Read it. So yeah, Craft Beer Alliance.
0: Um, from from what I understand, it's like a private equity funded group. It, Founders First, which we uh, talked about recently, have invested in Jetty Road and Foghorn, um, is a similar but different model. This sounds like it's um, where the
1: it's an amalgam of. They're a, they're a Portland based um, craft beer company. They own Kona. Widmer Brothers, Red Hook, Emission, Square Mile, Cisco Brothers, Appalachian Mountain Brewery, and Winwood Labels—some, some of which will be um, household names to some of our
0: listeners—and um, and it, it's aiming to get the benefit of scale while still staying small and local and relevant. Um, put together, you know, it, it's one of the the, the ways that um, craft beer industry is looking at the rapidly
1: evolving business model. Um, yeah. but and, they- and those that were lucky enough to go to BrewCon in Sydney last year. Uh, um, would have heard Terry Ferendorf, Um and I think she also touched on it in the the three part interview that you did with her in from our um, Bintani Brews News live studio, yep. uh, where she spoke a lot about the the kind of creep that's coming in now with with, with sort of breweries expanding their offerings for non traditional beer uh, products and and things like you know hard lemonades and.
0: A twisted Tea, either. yeah, and Boston Brewing yeah. is a great example of that. Where I think almost all of their growth, and almost, almost, or over fifty percent of their volume is now non-beer products
1: outside of beer. Yeah, which is
0: fascinating when you look when you look at the early days of Jim Cook railing against Heineken. Um, you know the purity of his argument was you know that we're small we're local you know we're sort of doing things differently we're not a multi-beverage company um and now they are exactly that and we've seen the craft brewers associate the brewers association in the u.s change their definition um now
1: uh, so craft brew alliance has started up a uh, the like pH a project experiment. would you call it the wait, pH experiment. Yeah, where, where a vehicle to for that? unleash our innovation engine and create relevant new products and experiences for today's drinkers. Doesn't that as we continue sound like focusing <laughs> on increasing top line growth and shareholder value. Now so when, we're wait, making more stuff to make more money.
0: When you hear that,
1: tell it me what's like different
0: business. from that between the media releases we used to get 15 years ago that people used to point to and sort of say craft beer is anything but that. Um, and I'm not going to enter into that argument. Well, yeah, just, and th-
1: things have. To be fair, Matt, but, you know, and I'm, I'm all for Jim Cook doing what he does now um, that he couldn't do because the market was different, his, uh, the size of his operation was different, the capital that he had available was was different. Uh, so I think, I think people can change uh, based on you know, the, the changing currents and the changing tides um, of you know, what the public wants.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and and that, if, that's you, observation if you can turn up to criticism. a brew Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying. Um, if you want criticism, we'll talk about the uh, changing yeah. business model that Stone Brewing has. But well, <laughs> let's not go there.
1: <laughs> I'm not. I'm not digging up that horse's corpse again. Found
0: another one that was over 12 months old this week, Prof. Uh,
1: good. Uh, <laughs> anyway.
0: <laughs> so yeah. Now, when I first saw this, I thought the pH experiment was. Oh, they're getting into sour beers. Um. But they're not. Um, they are getting into a range of, um, in unleashing so the, innovation, the innovation, engine.
1: innovation. Yeah.
0: So they've they've created a range of things such as pickle gozers um, or pickle juice gozer. Where is it? Um, yeah.
1: Hard tea, hazy IPA made
0: with Tang. Tang? Everyone, any child of the 70s.
1: Is Tang still a thing? My kids wouldn't know what Tang is, yeah. I'm sure. Remember Homer, Homer Simpson um, prank called uh, an American president asking him why he couldn't get no Tang. Uh, okay. well, bit, when he was, again, when prof, he was an astronaut with NASA.
0: I, I hate to break this to you, that first aired 20 years ago, so hardly current. Yeah,
1: it's closer to 30, but anyway. But that's why I um, said,
0: would our kids know what Tang are and our kids are under 20? so Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so and, and again, like that's the sort of stuff that um, it, it's interesting to see that looking at growth and maximising shareholder value, um, breweries are trying a whole range of things that once upon a time would have been outside the, the bounds of what was, and I'm heavily using air quotes here, inverted uh, commas, um, uh, craft. Um, and we haven't seen too much of it here yet, but, you know, I'm tipping that if we don't see that um, by the end of 2019, if we don't see breweries starting to really strongly play um, in, in this space here, um, 20, uh, 2020 is going to be the year of, uh, you know, spritzers and things like that, alcoholic spritzes. Yeah.
1: Uh, and look, uh, breweries, you know, we've got 500 odd breweries now. They're all competing um as as a collective, you know, as the royal we against um, you know, they're competing against the, all the other various alcoholic beverages, but they're also competing amongst themselves for um, you know, that valuable tap space, um, the the shelf space and all that sort of thing. So whether it's the way you, you change your packaging, you refresh your um your logo or you update, you know, you, you change the packaging site. So whatever you do, you you need to do something to remain um Relevant and to to give your uh, loyal drinker an opportunity to find you and and choose you over over another brand, um, it stands to reason that you can only do that so much and so often. You do, you then need to say, well, we're going to offer something different. Um, and I don't know about these, you know, herb and spice, you know, aperitivo style. I don't, I don't even know what that is. Is it just is it just methanol and herbs and spices, or is it actually a brewed product i don't know but kombucha seems to be you know sneaking in everywhere you go nowadays. so do we you know follow richard adamson's lead from gab's i'm gonna go back maybe five or six years where he, he made a, a kombucha beer that was that was my first experience of kombucha
0: yeah and, and, and that's where and,
1: and not coincidentally my last but like, and, and again, yeah, look. I'm,
0: just this is just observation. This story, not criticism, because it's business. And you know, we, we've talked. We talk at infinitum about that. It's it's the craft beer business, and you know, your, your first goal is to stay in business. Um, but I do look at that. There, there are a variety of ways you do it. You look at the Craft Beer Alliance. that is going into all of these things. I'm, I'll try and find a story while we're chatting um, that I saw of a wine expert um, or a wine commentator talking about um, how wine is. Competing against exactly these, um, you know, hard seltzers uh, and or, uh, hard um, soft drinks uh, in in the US. But when you read the labels, they put a whole lot of delightful adjectives in front of industrially produced ethanol, as you say, that's then blended with these things. But then they put all sorts of adjectives in front of the ingredients to making the ethanol to make it sound artificially natural. Um, oh, well, sorry, it, it is natural, artificially natural. Well, but to, to make it sound <laughs> uh, craft natural as opposed to yes, laboratory natural.
1: Um, that's right, handcrafted. Yeah,
0: and you know, it, it's I keep coming back to uh, the isoamyl acetate, which is the um, ester that's produced by yeast, um, that in you know, a wheat beer makes it smell lolly bananas. The reason it smells of lolly bananas is because that's the flavouring that they put in lolly bananas. Um, and when you look at the all-natural lolly banana company, um, they can say that because it is a natural flavouring. Now, there isn't a natural lolly banana making process where you throw a couple of ingredients and in, they ferment into lolly bananas. But as soon as you put all-natural, you don't see it as coming from a laboratory. You see it coming as a you know someone extracting banana essence by
1: squeezing it over the you know, <laughs> or you know. somebody out there harvesting lolly bananas in a field with a big coolie hat on
0: yeah and, and scientifically and you know intellectually the difference between the lolly banana aromas that come in a uh, German hefeweizen and when you see it fermenting you know organically like no, I don't mean organic but like yes you know, sort of just spontaneously fermenting when you add the yeast and causing those flavors is one thing having a guy in a white lab coat, um, farming iso-amyl acetate, um in an industrial <laughs> laboratory um, so they can then put it in all the bananas.
1: Does he have a clipboard? <laughs> and there'll be some I, I blue light in the background. To just, yeah, if he does yeah. not have a clipboard. It'll and, be buddy Holly glasses.
0: But it'll be one of those uh, clear acrylic ones that they have in toothpaste commercials um, because they're yeah. even more sciencey. Um, That's right. But yeah, it, 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 intellectually, exactly the same thing emotionally something that's very, very different. And, and, and that's where wine is sort of seeing they're competing in, in, in the same way against these um, you know, generation of millennials who on one hand, and not having a bash at millennials, I don't want to um, set anybody off, but you know, there, there is a set of values that younger beer drinkers have, uh, or that younger consumers have, that they look at something different to Generation X or um, baby boomers when they're making their purchasing decisions that hard seltzers are playing into even though they're fundamentally no different to the hard seltzers that went before um and we are seeing more and more of that and as i've said in the past the more that craft breweries embrace that and we see the definition of what craft is changes the more we devalue this whole idea of you know in in the consumer's mind that craft is something that ultimately Matters in terms of purchasing
1: decisions, true that um, yes, and as I say we can attach all sorts of labels to you know what people are uh, I guess attempting to do um, Matt, if you were going to arrange for some labels, would you call 1300 852 235 to discover a more efficient way to get your small batch canning labels done?
0: Matt, if you are going to be transparent in your labels, they're the people I would go to to tell your story on quite effectively. And the best thing about Relling's labels is that they can do it in small batch and they can ease your cash flow while you transparently tell your story on your labels that they provide.
1: I don't know that Relling's labels and stickers actually make transparent labels, but I'm sure if it's possible, they can do it.
0: Well, if the transparency Uh, doesn't come from them, it should come from you, dear brewer. (laughs)
1: Now, uh, Beer Cartel, also very good supporters of this thing that we call Good Brews Week. And all our letter writers, as we're about to delve into the mailbag, will receive a Brews News bottle opener and they will go into the draw to win a mixed six-pack. And it's fair to say, sacked bulging this week, Matt. We've had uh, plenty of feedback. (laughs) I'm going to go out there and say that we have
0: the best listeners in Australian beer podcasting.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I should just point out, though, that some of our listeners um, don't tend to observe the cook limit when they're writing their responses in the same way that they criticise us for perhaps not adhering to the cook limit when we're chatting. I actually don't think anyone's actually
0: criticised, except for the uh, name giver to the, the cook limit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: so we do have, uh, let's kick off the mailbag. Um, regular listener and a, a former uh, Bruce News contributor. James Davidson, um, happy beer o'clock. Just finished listening to episode 208 and wanted to go through some add-ons that arose in my mind while listening. And he talks a little bit about ABAC and rather than going through all of the, the bits and pieces um, about in response to other side and uh, in WA, uh, showing or appearing to show people who may or may not be a minor in your social media and that sort of thing. And, and James does make some interesting points um particularly uh, references some of the the relevant areas of the code and so we will um pop those into the show notes i think the um, of the um the, the point was that i was wrong and we're going to fix it um to yeah. coin a phrase uh yeah no, cause like, you, to week... be fair you did say i may be wrong here and generally when you preface something with i may be wrong here um we will get plenty of cards and letters saying hey matt you were wrong well, to, to be fair, we get a lot of
0: cards and letters telling me I'm wrong when I don't preface it by that because, you know, sometimes I am wrong. I <laughs> it, it's, it's just discussion. Um, it's not true. Uh, James um,
1: also weighs in uh, about Facebook groups.
0: Yes, so we are looking into that. He makes a good point. But I, I, I'll just go back to that. Yes, I was, I was wrong because I think I'd said that um, breweries shouldn't show people under 25, and that was what got us talking about the whole thing about fire breaks and um, marketing gone wrong. James points out, and so I will publish um, this part of James's email, um, which has the ABAC code in, because I think if it's incidental, um, it does make it uh, okay. Um, But again, and and when we come to our next letter, we'll sort of see why, um, even if you do, you're probably going to be damned because of the people who want to
1: complain. Yes, cannot think. I just said all that. Uh, Facebook groups. <laughs> Facebook groups are becoming increasingly powerful with their functions and community. Continues James Davidson, um, and community mechanisms. I believe they uh, have everything you will need to create an appropriate forum for your podcast discussions. Yes, you can now easily protect entry in your groups by having a security question that new members must answer before they can enter the group. Uh, I've suggested that maybe we have a password, like you know, no flogs or something like that. Although I said, or, or do we do a like? Do we drop a little password into each? Um, podcast so that people have to listen to then get into the group i don't
0: know oh no look i i think what, what i would do and, and bruise approach is generally sort of grow very slowly and organically and have people seek us out rather than um you know have those flash screens whenever you go to bruise you saying subscribe because we want our our audience is seeking out the information that we provide so what i would and i would hope that our audience is the same so i think we'll we will look at having a um invitation um or a Password thing, and we'll just put the, the the password out. But you don't have to re-enter the password every episode because people, you know, aren't interested yeah. in every guest, or sometimes they're going to miss it. Um, but they still want to be part of the discussion. Once you're in, you're in. But there will yeah, be you're a on plus. The group. Yeah. So so anyway, James
1: James has said, as far as the uh, Facebook group goes, uh, go for it. He then goes on to uh, discuss our. Um, previous claims that we brought up again in episode 2008 about uh barrel exchange programs uh james until recently was involved as the marketing guru at uh, bright brewery uh and he says for example 2013 bright brewery barrel aged their stubborn russian imperial stout in a starwood whiskey barrel after which it was returned to the distillery and refilled with whiskey five years later that barrel is now due to be emptied again and i'm fairly sure that scott um, owner of um, Bright Brewery, is keen to reacquire that barrel for ageing another Bright beer again. So does that count as an exchange program? My understanding is that Bright's arrangement was only a friendly agreement between like-minded people in the industry and never an official exchange program, which I think is reasonably common, and it doesn't sound any different to what Wolf of the Willows are doing. Uh, then again, maybe I don't have the full story. Uh, but that's something that we can we can certainly uh, look at. Yeah, and
0: as we always say, be very careful whenever you claim first because... There is very little in the world that's ever been done for the first time these days.
1: That's it. There's nothing new under the sun. Um, anyway, keep up the good work. I'm always listening, but please don't feel the need to ever read out my emails. Con- oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I will finish up with with his little postscript. Oh, and this weekend I'm attending a beer festival, but not for the beer. For the first time in my life, I'm going to beer inside of Melbourne for the live music lineup, and would still go even without the craft beer aspect of the event. What has become of me? I guess the only beer festivals I want to go to now are either Gabs or any spe- specifically themed beer festival or a beer festival with an interesting purpose. Uh, will we so- soon see more of those or will those general one day outdoor beer festivals with no difference persist? Um, because there's another general one day beer fest on at the exact same time as Beer Inside of Melbourne, the Melbourne Beer Fest in St Kilda. I wonder if each event will be a success. Um, thank you very much, James. So, yeah, interesting points there, which I, I brought up. Uh, Earlier, the yeah, first time I can remember having two two festivals in the same uh, uh, competing on the same weekend. Um, had they been a weekend either side of each other, I would still think that most people would make a call to go to one or the other. I don't know whether you you go back to back beer festivals, but then again, maybe, maybe yeah. there's enough people around that. Look, one no, weekend doesn't suit me, the next one does. Beer Insider,
0: come for the music, stay for the beer. And, you know, like that's, I, I, we've talked about it before during Sydney Beer Week. We talked about have beer weeks had their day and looking at the, and Marty from Beer Insider was on our panel. Um, and, you know, I, I think the days of beer festivals that are standalone beer festivals come along, um, try beers from 20 or 30 breweries and pay for the privilege of, coming in have had their day because there are so many breweries and bars out there that, you know, constant tap takeovers and rotating menus yeah. that, and, and you can get that experience for free that you need but to. But it mirrors,
1: Matt, how how the business model for um, small independent Australian breweries has changed as well. You go back 10 years and most breweries opened with uh, a core range of, of three beers and they'd have, you know, like a, a pale ale, an amber slash dark and an IPA. Uh, you wouldn't do that nowadays. You know, you've got to offer whether it's a, a Kolsch golden ale or, you know, a lager, a mid-strength, um, a sour, you know, things have changed. So in the, in the same way, festivals can't just say, well, we're just going to keep doing what we've been doing for 10 years because, like you're saying, people might say, yeah, well, I've been there, done that. Go Got and have, a, have a look at my chat
0: with Heads of yeah. this week where they opened with a Japanese lager. Um, like a really yeah. light, crisp lager, and then a um, like an ambery sort of lager, and they're only going to make lagers, and uh, it is completely changed, and that's what keeps us busy and fascinated, Prof. Yeah,
1: uh, our mailbag is still is filled with James this week. Matt, would you like to read um, uh, the letter from another James, James Omond?
0: Uh, I, I will, and apologies, James. I will paraphrase a little bit, but you are our letter of the week, and James is a, has been. A, I, I don't think we've ever awarded the letter of the week in the six pack to a guest on the program, but James isn't a brewer. He's a lawyer. Um, so I think he would welcome us mixed six pack, but anyway, he volunteers to be an uninformed consumer on our pasteurization blind tasting that is looking at going ahead, um, during good beer week. So just keep that in mind. Um, we'll get back to you about that. Um, and then he talks about the ABAC decisions. There's a couple of interesting things to note. Um, and he has posted, if you want to read the full comments, they are in the comments on the um, show notes to last week's episode. Um, so you can go read the whole thing's there, which is why I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Um, in terms of who made the complaint and dobbed in brands like Furphy, it appears the same person complained about the three different brewers, including Wild Beer, now owned by Tribe, who use the same social media influences, and we're obviously aware that they were age 24, not 25. And that is a very, very good point. Um... The people who are creating a lot of these ABAC um, issues are the neo-prohibitionists. They want to see alcohol stamped out. Um, Another, and going back to James, for example, another of the recent decisions by ABAC considered a complaint from alcohol advertising Brown Brothers Prosecco on a school bus. In fact, it was a normal transit bus, which happened to collect passages from a stop near a school. The complaint was rejected, but not before the company had to spend a lot of time putting together a response. Um, as you mentioned, the sort of cases you said ABAC are focusing on, they don't have any discretion to focus on anything in particular. They can only consider complaints which are lodged. Now remember, if the complaints aren't going to ABAC, um, or as well as going to ABAC, they're probably going to every politician under the sun. So. Um, If ABAC isn't looking at these, somebody else will be. Uh, One of the interesting elements to come out of the decision in relation to the social media influencers' complaints was around the age restriction controls, personal versus business accounts, and what percentage of the audience is under 18. Although Lion was only able to show 1% of the social media influencers influencers were less than 18, the fact that the age gate technology available on the account and not used on those posts meant the breach was still upheld. and he also, so if
1: you okay, so if you if your if your website has that age gate technology, yes. so you have got to click, you know, I'm old, yes, I'm old enough, no, I'm not. I don't know. Does anyone ever click no and then just leave? I'm well,
0: sure that's and that's what. Right, but again, that's the perfect example of if there is an age gate, all it is doing is providing a first filter. Um, if you really want to go in and get it and get the information, you're just going to make up an eight. There's absolutely no policing. But I guess it does have that, you know, we can still say, hey, we're making people, they're, they're not just immediately exposed to it. It's a little bit like the old Dolly sealed section um,
1: for anyone. Or yeah. Not that I've read Dolly magazine, <laughs> but, you know, the, 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 the Clio. Does anyone read magazines anymore? Um, but yeah, the point was that, so James, James Omond is saying that they should have had the AgeGate technology yes. on their social media posts as well. So yes. you shouldn't have been able to see that if you weren't eighteen.
0: If you well, you, you it wasn't immediately presented to you um, if you didn't click your eighteen, and then you couldn't just automatically follow it. Which is w- where the sealed section—you can't just flick through a magazine on a New Stage and suddenly see, um, you know, naughty bits um, or read rude words. Um, you actually have to go to the effort to tear it off, um, which just is that next step. Um, so yeah, I, I mean educate. As we know, you can get around it. Um, but anyway, um, thank you, James. And on a lighter note, he finishes by saying, I laughed at the name of one of your forthcoming guests, Bevilacqua, um, which was Pedro Bevilacqua de Luca. Um, see, that, see, prof? I can remember these these things. As it as this translates to drink water. And in fact, an old boss of mine at a wine company had the surname Drinkwater, which he preferred not to do if there was wine available. So I I'd not, re- <laughs> not realise that. There we go. Now, we might hold over, given that we are literally hard up against the one hour. Aim for half hour, get an hour. We're Um, cooked. We we do have some great um, iTunes reviews. Please don't forget you can review us on iTunes. You can these days hear us on Spotify. I don't know if you can review us on Spotify, but wherever you listen, please leave a review and help other people find us. Um, Next week, if we've got a little bit more time, we will talk a little bit more about iTunes and Toilet Doors Prof.
1: We shall we 'll hold those over till next week. Thank you again to all of our listeners and all our contributors, letter writers, uh, and just all of those who have um, told us when they see us in uh, at events and things that they they love listening to us and love what we do. We uh, certainly enjoy doing it uh, it 's our job, I guess to you know keep a finger on the pulse of of this great community that we 're um, that we're part of. Uh, and we certainly appreciate your sport as we do also appreciate the sport. of oh, people like crime, old Relling's labels and stickers and beer cartel. Uh, I've been Pete Mitchin, Pleasure to be your host. He's been Matt Kirkegaard. Matt, thank you for being a co-host. Brevity prof, brevity. Okay. <laughs> Matt. Uh, and I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Thank you prof. Yeah. Uh, Royal Queensland beer awards. Can't wait for judging this weekend. And for beer insider, if you haven't already got your tickets uh, and you're in Brisbane, uh, what are you doing? Just get onto the website and get them now.
0: And come and say good day.
1: Done and done. Uh, take care, and we'll see you all again next week for episode 210. And we're out.